All right. Good morning. How am I doing here? Come on. All right. Um, well, quite fitting to sing a song about the creed of the church, what we believe, uh, because we're going over basics, and basics are about what we believe. Today, the basic we're covering is what is the gospel? Uh, what is the good news of God for us? And in order to cover that, uh, I'm going to do one thing. I, I very much like sound and light. I'm going to turn on the lights. I'm going to eliminate a little buzz here. I'm going to stand here in a second. Give me 10 seconds. Zero. All right. Um, perfect. So in order to study what the gospel is, we're going to look at the church at Corinth. And we're going to look at Paul talking to them about the gospel. Uh, I'm going to start with prayer, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Father, thank you for opportunity to proclaim the gospel to people. Thank you for people willing to hear and wanting to hear what you have to say. Pray that you would bring life to the words, that you would get glory for anything that happens, uh, because it really is all you. We're kind of just weak instruments, and uh, you've done so much for us, and I pray that you would give me wisdom to, give this, to do this justice and to present it just simply as it is. Um, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the church at Corinth. Uh, Corinth was uh, in modern-day Greece, and uh, it was a city located short on a, a narrow strip of land. And uh, the city was such that, or the land was so narrow that people sailing from east to west could uh, stop, pull their boats out of the water, take the boat across the land, put it back in the water, and actually, it was a lot safer than going down around what would be a cape, uh, you know, the southern tip of the land. And so because of that, Corinth was very wealthy, and they didn't have to work much for it. And a lot of places where they're very wealthy and they don't have to work much for it, a lot of sin shows up. Uh, they also had a lot of sailors. A lot of sin shows up. And so Corinth was very, not that this is necessarily sin-driven, but Corinth was very sports-driven. They had their own version of the Olympics there. And... Uh, Corinth was known kind of worldwide because you could say, hey, that person's living like a Corinthian. And what you were saying was that person is a drunkard or they're sexually immoral because that was what the place was known for. Now, the church at Corinth, Paul went and established a church. He spent 18 months there. He only spent longer at one other place. So he spent a lot of time there. They needed, they needed him to be there. And he writes this letter that we're going to look at in a minute to the church at Corinth, and it's mostly corrective. It's longer than any other corrective letter in the Bible, and they didn't just get one of them. They got two of them. So um, Corinth was special, and when he writes this first letter, he finds he's heard that the church at Corinth has a lot of divisions. They, um, they say, oh, I'm this, and somebody else says, oh, I'm this, and well, we're divided now. And kind of like the church in the U.S. has a lot of divisions. You know, I'm Episcopalian, I'm Presbyterian, I'm whatever. And they also approved of being liberal with sin. There was 
a guy there who had relations with his father's wife, which probably means mother-in-law. Not good. The church was approving it. It's like, even the Gentiles don't do this, is what Paul tells them. That was, that was Corinth. They, uh, they had a lot of spiritual gifts, but they misused them. They used them for themselves. And so they're, they had these sort of gifts from God that are sort of, you know, you become saved and then later come spiritual gifts and and not that that means you're more spiritual, but God gives you spiritual gifts. And um, they just weren't using them right. It's like they could prophesy and they had the gift of tongues, but they were misusing all of that stuff. And then the part we're going to study is in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll find that what they were also doing is they were drifting away from the gospel the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is, what he did for us, what was accomplished by his sacrifice for us, what was accomplished in the resurrection. And so that's who Paul is writing to, is these people who they'd, they'd heard the gospel, but they were starting to drift away from it. And the thing about Corinth is that we as the church in America are really not much better um, I heard a study and then I read of a different one. One of them said 30% of professing Christians in the U.S. don't believe in a resurrection. And then another one said uh, 36% don't believe in a resurrection. So somewhere in that range. Professing Christians. These are people who say they believe in Jesus, they follow Him, but they don't believe that there's any resurrection. And that's in America. That's in, in 2000. That was 2014 and 2016. So within the last couple of years, that was the state of the thing. Also, you know, what we're surrounded by, a lot of people at my work live like Corinthians. That's what their weekends are. You know, if you're in the tech industry, if you're in San Francisco or Silicon Valley, it's, it's a lot of what it's like. And then the church, you know, the rest of the world is saying sin isn't important. Sin doesn't have an impact. And uh, just like the church at Corinth said, well, you know, we're okay with sin too. A lot of churches in the U.S. have said, well, we're okay with sin too. We'll let that be a part of our culture. It's not really important. God's not going to judge it. And so when Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, he, he might as well have written it to the church in America too. You know, it, it applies to us in the same way. So I'm going to read the passage and then we'll go through it. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. He'll go on to list 500 people, not all of them, he doesn't list them, but say there's other 500 people that Christ appeared to. So, in verse 1, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers. And that's what we're doing this morning. We're being reminded of what Jesus did for us in the gospel, what, he, what was done for us. And I think it's interesting, when somebody comes and reminds you of something, it's not condemning. It's not um, 
off-putting or attacking or telling them they're wrong. He just says, hey, I want to remind you, and you're my brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to remind you of what Jesus did for us. I think that's a good mark of a leader. His interest is not in what the church looks like. It's in the individual relationships of the believers with Christ. And when you, some of you will go off to college someday. Uh, Some of you are moving to other states eventually because California is ridiculously expensive. And other places are really beautiful. And you're going to have to find a church. And I just recommend looking for leaders that are like this where... um, They care supremely about you knowing Jesus and knowing him well. That's that's the mark of a good leader, and that's who you want to be around. You want to be around people who do that for you. So now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Now Paul spent 18 months there establishing the church, and uh, he said of himself, he says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's what he had done there those 18 months. He was telling people about Jesus and what Jesus did for them. It says, what you received, so in the past they had received it, in what you stand. Now there's a thing about the gospel. We haven't defined the gospel yet. We'll do that when Paul does it. But there's a thing about the gospel. When it comes into your life, when you receive it, it brings a stability. See, life's full of storms. Life's full of things that want to batter and push you every direction. Some of you know it better. I think years bring that to you. But life is full of storms. And the gospel, there's no promise from God that the gospel will calm those storms. But there is a promise that it will bring a stability so you can withstand them when you're in them. See, David talked about God, about the God who had redeemed him from every trouble. He didn't say if the God that saved me or kept me out of every trouble, but once I was in them, he redeemed me out of them. And the gospel, you bring it into your life, God uses it to help save you out of the troubles that life brings. It brings us real stability. And the reminder here is, hey, you received it, and look at the stability it brought into your life. Don't walk away from it. You, you need that in your life. Hold on to it. He says, and by which you are being saved. Now, saved is a strong word in this context. In our context, I think I should be able to make a sports analogy, but I'm bad at sports. You save things, right? Like save a goal or something if you're a goalie. But also you save things to a hard drive. And these are all pretty minor things. In this context, though, you are being saved from something very serious. Uh, first of all, God created us in his image, but really sin has changed that so that part of us is dead. The spiritual side of us, our spirit is dead without God. And so one of the things that the gospel saves us from is spiritual death. We are born again by what Jesus did for us, and that birth is a spiritual birth so that we're now not just body and mind, not body and soul, we're body soul and spirit, spirit being made alive. Another thing that it saves us from is what is sort of internal to us, what we call a sin nature. Jesus said, Jesus said, speaking of man, he said, 
For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. You know, he lists covetousness there, coveting. And there's a lot of sins you can, you can kind of control the outward appearance of, right? You could have lust but avoid sexual immorality. But coveting is this thing of the heart. Paul said, unless the law had said, I wouldn't cov- I, I, you shall not covet, I wouldn't have known that the law governed the heart. Covet this heart thing where you desire something that's not rightfully yours. And Jesus is saying, really, all of these things, they come out of our heart. They start in your heart because of our sin nature. And the gospel, it saves us from that sin nature. God works in us to change us, to eliminate the sin nature from our lives. Now, sometimes we think church is about taking people and making them better, right? Like, We've got a person in there, an okay person. We just want to make a slightly better person so they should start going to church every Sunday. It doesn't really work like that. God takes the spiritually dead person and makes them alive. That's, that's what the gospel does for us. Now he goes on and he starts to clarify or qualify. He says, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. See, the gospel is something we have to hold fast to. You can't just hear it once. And then say, okay, I heard that once. I know it. It's no longer important in my life. Now I care about sports. Or now I care about my career. Or now I care about what kind of house I own. Whatever. The gospel is one of those things where I hear it. I receive it. I stand in it. uh, It saves me. It continues to save me. It continues to work in my life. So he says you have to hold fast to it. You have to cling to it. Uh, Cling to the word that he preached to them. And he says, unless you believed in vain. Now he's talking to a church where they started to move away from the gospel as Paul had preached to them. And they were starting to believe that there was no resurrection of Jesus. And if Jesus wasn't resurrected, Paul says, it's in vain. There's no point in being a believer if, if Jesus wasn't resurrected. And so you need to hold fast to the gospel as taught and if you don't, it's really in vain. It, doesn't, it, it makes it ineffective in your life. And it's interesting that something so powerful could be made vain in somebody's life. Empty. Now, verse 3, For I, so Paul, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So the most important thing he did was deliver the gospel to these people And now he's going to define it. So we've we've used the word 20 times here, at least. He's going to define it. This is what he received. First, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Second, that he was buried. It's a proof of the death. Third, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Christ was raised from the dead. So that is the gospel in a nutshell. When you look at this first piece of it, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. It makes me think of Leviticus 4. There's a law of the sin offering. And when somebody sinned, 
what they would do under Old Testament law. So this is 1,500 years before Jesus came. Um, and up until the time of Jesus, they did this. They did this for 1,500 years. Somebody sins, they would go and they would get a goat or a lamb. And they would come to the priest, they'd come to the place of the burnt offering. They have an altar there, the horns on the altar, and a place for the burnt offerings. The person would put their hand on the head of the lamb. Now, lambs are cute. This is not a, a cute story. Lambs are cute. And then the priest would kill the lamb. He would cut the jugular. And the lamb would bleed, it would get weak, his knees would go and fall down. Some of the blood would be taken, be put on the altar. Some of the blood would be taken, the rest of the blood would be taken, poured out of the base of the altar. The lamb would be cut up and put on the altar as, as a burnt offering. And it was a picture of the terribleness of sin. You have this cute lamb, and then within minutes, it's, it's dead. It's, blood is everywhere. It's on the altar. And it was a picture of the terribleness of sin. It was also a picture of sin being transferred from you to the lamb. You put your hand on it here, sin's being transferred. You have transference of sin. It was also a picture of the lamb receiving the punishment you were to receive. See, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's a penalty associated with it. And with the sin offering, that lamb received the penalty that you would have received. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus for the first time, he cried out, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that is what Jesus did. He was like that lamb in that our sin was transferred to him on the cross. And he took the penalty, he substituted for us, he took the penalty we were to take on that cross. So that when he was marred, he was, he was beaten and he was uh, crucified and hung there, um, they could look at him and say, that is, that lamb, God gave us this picture, was to communicate what Jesus would do on the cross for us. When John the Baptist calls him the Lamb of God, to communicate what Jesus would do on the cross for us, that he, our sins would be transferred to him, and that he would substitute for us in terms of the punishment we were to receive for sin. So that's part one of the gospel. It's summed up in Isaiah 53. It says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Transference of sin, substitution for sin. Verse 4, that he was buried as a proof of his death. Some people say that Jesus just fainted, you know, didn't really die pretty hard to be buried for three days after being beaten and hung on a cross and speared and not be dead. Um, verse 4, continuing, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So the gospel, the good news, is actually three things. It's, it's the death, it's the burial, it's the resurrection. And a lot of times we leave off the resurrection somehow when we preach the gospel. The New Testament doesn't. When it preaches the gospel, it includes the resurrection of Christ. And it is of the utmost importance. Paul says, without the resurrection, our faith is in vain. Because if Christ was raised from the dead, so will we be. 
he was kind of a first fruits of this thing. Like he was a type or the example of what would come for us. And if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then really our only hope in Christ, our only hope in the, the gospel without a resurrection is for this life. And Paul says if that's what it is, then we're of all men most pitiable. There's really no point to it if it's just this life. But that's not the way the world works. That's not the way Jesus was. Jesus did resurrect. And because Jesus resurrected, there is hope for us, eternity with God. The things that happen in this life do matter for more than just this life. They matter for eternity with God. It makes our relationship with God now and then the most important thing because there's a resurrection for us. It's declared in the scriptures by David who said in Psalm 16.10, he said, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. It was written a thousand years before Jesus. Jesus died, he's in the tomb, but then rose again with his body, with the holes in the hands and the hole in the side. So that's the gospel. It is the death of Christ, transferring of our sin to him, him taking the punishment for us, burial, proving the death, and the resurrection. Now, You might say, well, what do I do with that? What do people do with the gospel usually? I think some people, they hear it and um, the cares of this life become more important. You know, just the next meal, the next set of clothing. It doesn't have to be anything extravagant. It can be the little things. Those can take the place of, you know, the most important thing in your life. And some people that hear it and, and sin is, is more important and so you know, gospel doesn't bear much fruit for them, doesn't do anything. Some people, they hear it and because of work and the tribulation they might have from people there because of school and how people might view you, you know, sort of there's a hardship of believing in Jesus. They don't let it be big in their life. And then some people, some people, they receive it and they stand in it, lends a stability to their life. And then they do what Paul said back in verse 2, and they hold fast to the word that was preached to them because they know it's saving them. They know it saved them from their spiritually dead state. They know it's saving them from their sin nature, from their naturally selfish state. I don't know about you, but I find that I am extremely selfish in and of myself. I won't speak for you guys, but I personally am a very selfish person. And I need the sacrifice of Christ to be a part of my life, to be anything else. I find that any attempt to be something else in and of myself by my own wisdom, my own effort, my own just what do you call it, uh, determination, fails. And sometimes in truly terrible ways. And so I need that gospel to be a real important part of my life. And, and I guess I will speak for you a bit. You all do too. 
Because God spoke for you and said you do. So, how do we do that? First, if you have received it, if, it, if it's come in, just cling to it. You know, hold fast to it. Have that be of primary importance or of first importance, as Paul said. And if you haven't received it, we'll have men and women up here after the service who would be happy, more than happy to pray with you, more than happy to tell you more about it, more about Jesus and who he was, who he is now, what he wants to do with your life. And they would love to be a part of talking you uh, through coming into a relationship with God. And that relationship comes. Jesus said, for God so loved the world, if he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that is the message of how we please God, is just believing in Jesus, trusting him for the forgiveness of our sins. That pleases God, that saves us. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, but if you have not come to know Jesus as Savior, or if you, like Corinth and like much of the church today, have just drifted away from that being of primary importance, you want somebody to pray with, there'll be men and women up here. Please just come pray with them. We're going to close in prayer. Father, thank you for your gospel and your good news of uh, your son and, and him dying in my place and in our place and of taking our sins upon him and of resurrecting so that we can have life with you after this one. And I pray that you would stir hearts and move hearts uh, as you see fit and draw people to you. I ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.